Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life and leadership and lessons therein. And we tend to do that in the world of sports and business and comedy and music, pastors, authors, the like. And sometimes we detour from that. And uh, we had a guest lined up for today that had to unfortunately back out based on a commitment to work last second. But you know what? When you have a long history with good relationships and good friends and many years invested, sometimes you'll pull one of them in. So I am super excited to bring in today a longtime friend. Some might say a brother from a different mother on many levels, but my friend from Northeast Ohio, Michael Dixon. Thank you for being here, Michael. Hey, Jeffrey P. I'm glad to be your ram in a bush today. <laughs> ram in a bush. So Michael's got a long history in education, guidance counselor. One of the great Michael Dixon stories is back in the, the late 90s, mid-90s, I think it actually was. I can't remember the right year. You can set me straight on this. He was down in Springfield at Springfield North High School where I knew him in that particular season. They had a great basketball team. A good friend of mine today, Pat Rastatter, played ball for them. And the running joke was that whoever won the game between Springfield North and Cleveland Heights would get Michael Dixon as their guidance counselor because something had happened to get him in the wavelength of a Cleveland Heights opportunity. And sadly for the North Panthers, Cleveland Heights won. And Michael Dixon, sure enough, left town and followed them back to Cleveland and got a job up there. <laughs> And not too terribly long ago, real recently, retired from Cleveland Heights. Did I get all that right? And what year was that? I started in 1995, retired just this past year in 2022, June of 2022. So you were at Cleveland Heights for 27 years. 26. 26. I know math was not your specialty, I understand. You did, you did say 95 to 2022, right? Yeah. Oh, that would be, sorry. That would be Wittenberg cool math. Wittenberg cool math's year. not so good. <laughs> right. And the, the real reason, not a real sports fan very much, but uh, my mother became ill. So I literally just came back home. Yeah. That's right, and you're thanks from there. be to God that there was a job opening and all I had to do was slide into it. And you were at North again for how long? Only six years. Six years as a North Panther. Cleveland Heights, I should remember their nickname is the Tigers. Tigers. Okay. So we found out that Tigers are tougher than Panthers. Yeah. In this situation, yeah. You just you, <laughs> you just wanted to go back to Tigers because you obviously going to Wittenberg. You you love the Tigers from there, and you just said, I need to stay a Tiger, right? Uh, I don't know about love, but I, I, I survived. Okay. I survived Tigerdom. Maybe we'll get some <laughs> Wittenberg stories later because there's some great Wittenberg stories with you, Michael. But, hey, as always, I think I told you before, I, I like to get into people's kind of three-minute testimony jump into kind of how they came to Christ and what meeting Jesus was like. So give us a three-minute Michael Dixon testimony. Okay. 
I was uh, raised in a Christian home. I always was knew of God, surrounded by God, protected by God. Uh, my mother prayed for me, my whole family a lot. At nine years old, after having been in Sunday school and church and choir and everything and been taught a lot, at nine years old, I decided it was time to actually give my life to Christ. You know, I was never a bad boy. I don't have one of these amazing conversion stories in terms of, oh, I used to drink, smoke, do all that. No, I just decided to fully give my life to Christ at nine. I actually got baptized on my ninth birthday. So I, you know, lived like a good little boy as far as a, you know, a youngster could understand. Mm. And then one day uh, at 13, I was sitting around playing records of 45s and uh on my stereo at home and you know you you play music and you think about it, it evokes memories and emotions and i get this overwhelming sense of i don't know loneliness a void within me um i was an only child kind of nerdy eh, had some friends but uh th- this overwhelming sense of a lack came to me and I realized that it was God saying, hey, you need me to come in and further fulfill that emptiness. So I asked them right then and there to come into my life even further. And of course he did. And then at 18, when I came to Wittenberg, I went to a revival at the Church of Jesus, Mm. right around the corner from the church. I ended up at St. John Missionary Baptist Church. Some friends on campus, they invited us, and we went, and it was exciting. The music was incredible. The preaching was great. And at the end, they asked people, did they want to get saved? Did they want to uh, rededicate their lives to the Lord, have a deeper walk with him? And, of course, you know, we always want to have a deeper walk with God. So, you know, I went up for prayer, and before I knew it, the Church of Jesus being apostolic, it had a little different uh theology and that they believed you had to be baptized in the name of Jesus as opposed to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So before I knew anything, I was being baptized again at 18. Mm -hmm. But my whole purpose there was to, again, grow further in, 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 in walking with Jesus. And throughout my time at Wittenberg, I had a group of friends, some people called us the God Squad, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we went around campus ministering, you know, talking to people, loving people, and just trying to bring people into the knowledge uh, of Christ. Now, speak to that. You and I have talked about that many a times before. And, you know, one of the things I love talking about on a podcast is community and what does it look like for deep fellowship, really kind of doing life together, being in the trenches together. Your time at Wittenberg over those years was really special. Wittenberg, I mean, and in really a lot of college campuses, especially back, you know, 70s, 80s, whatever, you would hear about, you know, the Jesus movement and things like that. And there was a lot of, lot of uh, action and, and movement and, and uh, salvation experiences coming to the college age world. And like I said, that can happen at any point with great ministries and whatnot. But that era of Wittenberg had some really special tones and flavors to it. Can you, can you speak about, you know, what that was like? And, and, and I even asked you when we were hanging out, couple weeks ago like can you ever maybe get that back and and you just alluded a lot to why it was so special yeah it was incredible because it was it it was very concentrated that we 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 were on a college campus 
and you know you had about 2400 students around you and in a few hundred who loved the lord and the sunday nights were special Wittenberg christian fellowship i kind of wasn't feeling it at first coming from a, a a very religiously a very black background if you were would culturally we walked into um the chapel there weaver chapel weaver chapel and I saw the sea of white people sitting on the floor. Number one, I was like, "We better clarify, you are black." Just so we're being clear oh, yeah. with what you're yeah, saying. White. <laughs> <laughs> you are a black so, man so from Northeast Ohio, right? So this lone black man walks into the Wittenberg Christian Fellowship, which was a Sunday evening meeting uh, Christians had on campus, and I think I was the only one that first time I went there, and I saw this guy sitting on the floor with everybody else playing the guitar. And I'm like, what kind of kumbaya experience have I come into? I say, like, what the what? Yeah. But I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm adventuresome. We're, we're going to give it a chance. That song, In Christ There Is No East or West. Okay, let's try this. So I sat down on the floor <laughs> with them and, you know, of course, knew none of the songs. But after a few weeks, it grew on me. And but what grew on me more was the love mm. and the caring and the discipleship that was uh, given there. It was amazing. I think I was assigned somebody to disciple me and to teach me, help me grow. And then as I grew to a certain point, then I became assigned a disciple. And uh, that, that, that was just an amazing experience. So, I mean, not only that, experience. I had my, my friends, I had a group of three or four friends, black friends at Wittenberg, where like Friday nights were our nights. We'd go out and do our own private ministries on campus while everybody else, else was going out getting drunk or whatever. And of course, there was my, my church home, St. John Missionary Baptist Church, which was just a lifesaver. I don't think I would have made it through Wittenberg without the ministry of that church. So you had a lot of different pieces kind of coming together there that it wasn't any kind of one entity. When you talked about being assigned people to disciple and you being assigned mm -hmm. to someone else, was that done by students? Was that being done by some outside organization? That wasn't through Weaver Chapel. I mean, who was, who was doing that? It, it was by students through the Wittenberg Christian Fellowship. The, we had a kind of leadership of the group, uh, say the, some of the seniors who were, you know, pretty mature in Christ they would take on the leadership and look at people, get to know people, and kind of match people up. It was funny, my, my roommate freshman year, who was a little, I called him a little weed demon, <laughs> he ended up accepting the Lord, and then I ended up discipling him. Wow. Wow. So there was just kind of this organic thing, like nobody needed any, I mean, the formal ministry ties, whether it was church or, or led by the, the, the Wittenberg campus student staff folks was obviously good, but there was just a real organic, natural relationship thing where people were just leading people to Jesus, right? Yes. Yes, it, it, it was. It, because, you know, we were, we were young, we were excited, we were full of the Lord, and we, we were accountable to each other. We were open to each other. You know, things would happen and we'd go to you know somebody else in the fellowship and say hey you won't believe what just happened what i just did you know we pray with each other i, I got to share this one story of this one friday night uh 
me and my friends were sitting around and something, and I'm not trying to build myself up as some great guru or nothing like that, but, but this will always stick with me. I had this young man that I was ministering to. He even came to church with me one time. And he, uh, we were sitting around one Friday night, me and some of my other friends. And it's like the spirit just impressed something upon me. He said, like, go see him. Go see him. His name was Mark. He said, just, just you got to go see him. He lived in uh, North Hall, one of the dorms there. I went over to North, knocked on his door several times. He finally opened the door. And he looked kind of crazy at that point. Bottom line is, he told me he was getting ready to kill himself. He, he, he was in pain. He didn't feel like living anymore. And this knock on the door stopped him. Wow. I was like, oh, my gosh, praise God. If I had not have listened to that still small voice, that, that, that would have been tragic. And again, not bragging on me, just, just kind of sharing with you how the power of God operates and how it certainly operated within us uh, back then. So again, this was kind of a last second. You know, Michael Dixon, my guest, longtime friend, longtime educator, um, Wittenberg grad, tied to Cleveland Heights. Before that, Springfield North High School. We had talked about okay, we're we're kind of freelancing. I don't usually do it quite like this. We're just going wherever. I always want to go where the Holy Spirit leads, but we're particularly doing that today. And we're freelancing. So you hit on suicide. And I, and I think we talked about this a little bit together a couple weeks ago. But I just had this breakfast in Springfield with a gathering of the Miami Valley, my day job where I connect men to men and men to God. And we had a guy named Matthew Sleeth who came in from near Lexington and ended up speaking a lot, a lot more than I would have thought. But that's just kind of how God leads about suicide mental health. So you talked about a story where you saw your friend Mark back at Wittenberg, really felt impressed to go see him and he said he was about to kill himself what is right. where we are in culture right now and obviously covid's done a lot on this but just where we are everything else going on in the world 2022 with the economy politics race i mean how many topics can we throw in there suicide mental health is very very real what is that like for you thinking back to that moment till now in different seasons of life does now seem that much more real? And I know you're, you're in a different educational setting right now, retired. But how real is that to you now compared to other times? Is it, have you always seen it, being in school, dealing with things with, like you did? And you always had students who loved you dearly and confided in you and trusted you with their life. I remember joking with you years ago about, okay, so how many high school graduation parties are you going to this year? Oh, my God. So mental health suicide, <laughs> yeah. where has that stacked up for you from that moment back then until now in your role in education or just living and doing life? Well, back then, going back to my buddy, that I think he was probably the first person, and how old was I? 19, 20, probably the first person I dealt with uh, up close and personal who even talked about suicide. As I went through my career, and I was in public schools for 38 years as a math teacher and then a counselor, dealt with potential suicide and unfortunately completed suicides a lot. Um, no, pause right there. Pause right there. You said completed suicides. How many did you deal with over the years? You know, I'm thankful, you know, any one is too many, yeah. but I'm thankful to say in my recollection, it'd be only like four. Hmm. And that's in 38 years. Wow. My first year, my first year as a teacher, a math teacher, this was at the Miami Valley School in uh, Dayton, Ohio. 
outside of Dayton to Washington Township. Uh, my first year, we had a completed suicide. A young man hung himself from a tree in his backyard. Whew, that was that was just devastating. You know, the whole school was a wreck. But and since then, you know, as I've become more educated and informed about suicide and especially as I became a counselor I was able to deal with that a lot better and a lot more when I was at North I you know one of my favorite former students to this day we became close because of suicidal ideation he had his girlfriend came to me and said please help he's thinking of suicide and then I had to drag him in the office and we went through the procedure talked to his family became very close to him and his family. As life goes on, it whew, probably in my last few years in education, a couple of times a month at least, I had to seriously deal with a child who was suicidal. And now I'm in a day treatment program for students who are traumatized, troubled, emotionally disturbed. And you know, it's, it's, mental health is real. There are so many people out here with diagnosed and undiagnosed mental health issues. It's really changed my way of operating with people because I used to be kind of bold. I'd see people acting out of place, out in public. Uh, you know, the old stories of the adult stops the kids playing inappropriately out in public or going off or you know, I don't do that anymore. Mm. You know, I see adults acting inappropriately places i used to you know try to address that and say uh not quite the thing to do here i don't do that anymore because you never know what people have gone through you never know what's going to trigger people and make them go off and even possibly hurt you so you know i kind of listen and see if there's a place that i feel that god is, try is trying to insert me to help but uh yeah, I'm not as bold anymore in terms of stepping in with people I don't really know well. I know we can joke relationally and as friends about your boldness, and you know I've always loved it, and you know you're politically incorrect and all this other stuff. But I mean, I like what you're saying there about having to learn, like where does that need taper down or or whatever. Speak to Michael, what in your experience? I mean, because you obviously have the experience and expertise of the school system. You've obviously been very committed over a long time, really most of your life, to the church individually you are a follower of jesus how should we view ourselves in the mental health world in the world of suicide i mean again i you anyone cannot take on everything we can't be about everything but this is a very real thing in our lives in our world in our churches in our schools the list goes on and on so what should we as right. followers of jesus individually and as a body of christ collectively where can we or should we land with mental health and suicide stuff going on so prevalently right now? Great, great question. Very relevant question. You know, we, we are called to be followers of Christ. We are called to be imitators of Christ. And, and Christ, to me, Christ's biggest message to us was love. You know, there's that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Mm -hmm. We have to love people. And I mean, all facets, facets of love. We have to love people unconditionally. We have to serve them. We have to be selfless at some times. And we have to look for opportunities to serve. Suicide, 
breakdowns, psychotic breaks, but they happen when people feel hopeless, like they don't see light at the end of the tunnel. They're in pain, just like uh, suicide is like emotional euthanasia. Someone has Mm. cancer, they're in pain, they feel like nothing's going to stop this pain, I just need it to end. That's what suicide is. They feel like I'm in emotional pain, I've been abused, neglected, whatever is going on in my life to cause me this pain, and I need it to end. I don't see it ending ever, Mm. and I'm tired of being in pain. So we as the body of Christ have to minister to to those people. We have to bring them into social circles, religious circles, where they can be ministered to, where they can be loved, and where they they can see that there is a different way of life. There are different choices they can make. Everybody is not the same. I, I hear some of my students talking about, well, you know, everybody like this, you know, this is the way it's going to be. But like, no, it doesn't have to be. There are different worlds out there where people don't treat you like this, yeah. where you can be loved. So I think we have to usher in that understanding of fact that there is always light at the end of the tunnel there's always hope with christ but we have to show them that by our own love here you know what i think about as you're talking bob goff famous author lawyer who's got crazy testimony crazy story in fact if you and bob goff were to ever together holy cow that would be an explosion are you familiar with bob goff not at all google him check out his books listen to him on a podcast Watch him on a video. He is uh, incredible. Uh, he, he is a John 1010, live life to the fullest guy like nobody's business, has a pretty big platform. I share quotes on Facebook every morning, and I shared one today, and it was his, and it was simply this, over-communicate hope. Mm-hmm. And I think of a guy named Steve Backlin who uh, is from Redding, California. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but he came to our church a few years ago, and he did a, a kind of half-day leadership thing for some leaders in our church and in the community. He made a statement that really threw me at the moment. Rob Rue, a friend of ours, uh, he, he was there, and we looked at each other, and we're kind of trying to make sense of this quote. And then we kind of looked at each other after about 20 seconds, and we said, I agree with what he just said. And he said, in a group of people in a room where there's more than one person, whoever has the most hope controls the room. Hmm. Hmm. And initially I didn't really agree with that. I thought that's a pretty bold statement. Does really the person who has control and has the power really the person with the most hope? But the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, because everybody's going to drift to whoever's got the most hope. And I think sometimes in life when we talk about whatever troubling thing confronts us or is before us in culture, or, you know, it could be anything from Will Smith smacking Chris Rock to political stuff to the economy to gas prices to I mean you name it what people can go off on and vent and whatever what people ever not need hope mongers we need people oh, Bob Goff over communicate hope most definitely and we have and I think of my own life you know we're talking about back at Wittenberg I struggled to get through Wittenberg financially emotionally I struggled because I, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money. I had put my put myself through after the scholarships and things. I had to work jobs while I had three campus jobs. I had a job in the summer during the six week winter break, and then after freshman year, my stepfather died, 
which meant I not only had to put myself through school, I had to send money home so my mother wouldn't lose the house. Hmm. So here's this 19-year-old trying to get through school, trying to help support mom, the financial aid director, William Porter. I still know his name. Me and him were, hmm. we were on first-name basis. I said, I'd walk in the financial aid office, okay, well, I need some more help. <laughs> but I knew, talking about that hope, I knew that our God would always come through. Hmm. And I think that is the major problem that we have in today's society among our youth and adults. They don't have that foundation of hope. They don't realize that whatever the problem, God's going to work it out. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this answer. Love this, man. I'm totally freelance. I'm not, I'm not looking at any notes here. We're just talking. Can you give us any thought on can we have hope outside of Jesus? Are there things we can put hope in apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus? Most people try to. Most people try to put hope in their money, in their relationships, and their jobs. People try to idolize, replace God with all kinds of things. However, all of those things are finite. You know, people ask me, how do you stay in this job so long and dealing with some of the intensity of things you deal with? Um, you know, the sexual abuse and neglect, uh, all the things that our kids go through in adults. And I have to say that it is, and I think I've shared this with you, Jeff, I have to look at myself like a funnel through which God's power flows. I cannot do this in and of my own self and my own power because my power is finite. I have to lean and depend on God to flow through me in order to give hope to people, in order to give people wisdom and courage and love. Because after a while, I just want to stop and you know, Will Smith somebody. Some of my students <laughs> in school right now, I could think of a handful who I just want to just snatch. But I got to you know look to God and say, okay, you, you got to give me your heart because without you, Without being in Christ, I cannot do this. I cannot imagine how anybody mm. truly goes forth and spreads the gospel and spreads love and serves people continually and consistently without hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know of another way people, yeah. of another entity people can place their faith in to give them hope. Michael, yeah, I love what you said there about hope because it, it's sometimes the Sunday school answer. I know the the famous phrase about the, the kid in a Sunday school class when the teacher said, what is brown, has a tail, and collects nuts, and the kid raised their hand and said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. Um, that's how we tend to treat a lot of things sometimes and kind of give a Sunday school super spiritual sounding answer, but I'm with you. There's not, I don't think there's any way... We accomplish, get through anything in life. I mean, life is hard. Right. Marriage is hard. Work is hard. You know, yeah. I, always, I always say about my job, and you'll appreciate this, Michael, if anybody will. The best part of my job is the people. The worst part of my job is the people. So <laughs> that's just everything with life. Finances are hard, paying bills, you know, taking yeah. care of your home. I mean, it's all hard. So when we go through stuff... Man, I don't know how we, anybody does it without Jesus. And like I said, I mean, I've, I've known 
you know, over a dozen people who have died in the last year. And I think of their families and think about what they're left with. And almost in every case of someone I knew who died, they were passionate, recommitting, reproducing follower of Jesus. So there was great oh. hope. There was great hope there. So speak to that, I'm Michael. I'm sorry what? to hear about your, all your friends who died. That's, that's rough. I was telling somebody I've attended more funerals in the past two years than I have my entire life. I'm close to being there. I would say yes. So, hey, with time being limited, let's let's jump to another topic. So, um, it's funny while we we uh, have been on here, I texted a buddy of ours, Brandon Peterson. He'll appreciate the shout uh, out. And I told him we were we were podcasting, and he he right away responded, "Oh, Michael, I wish I was on there with you guys." Blah blah blah. blah. But clearly, I mean, I know you well. I know what I saw when you were here over that seven years. I guess it was. You made a big impact on a lot of kids and they trusted you and give some testimonies to what that looked like. Cause I think, you know, with people who listen and I'm a big fan of, of coaches, of teachers, of people who get to work with young people, you know, college age and under those people who are invested in lives several, several hours a day on a daily, weekly basis, really get to make an impact. Give some testimony to what that was like for you and what you experienced you know, both at North and maybe even back to Miami Valley and certainly Cleveland Heights. Right. Um, you know, what it looked like was for me, it was family because I, I was a single man back then and, you know, I was 200 miles away from my family. And, you know, being a starting off in Miami Valley, that was like they became like family to me. And it was a small school, 110 students. And my students, we were, as a staff, we were like extended family to the kids. I'll never forget uh, one young man, Scott. He was a senior, and which he was 17, and I was just 22, so he was only five years younger. Uh, his family, he took me home with him. They introduced me to his sister, who was my age. She took me around dating and showed me things. I mean, they, they really adopted me. I started calling them mom and dad. When I uh, went through and got my counseling degree, the parents, they actually threw my graduation party for me. I had, you know, my whole family, friends, they were all there in their huge mansion. And uh, they were just so excited. You know, they told everybody, yeah, this is our son who's graduated. It, it was awesome. The proudest part of that for me was my mother, who was part of the Great Migration, uh, coming up to the north, the blacks from the south to the north, she was a day worker. She cleaned houses. And I pulled up in their driveway, and she looked at me. She, she says, I can go in here in the front door? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And she's, I've never even cleaned a house this big before. Like, wow. And, you know, they treated her like, you know, part of the family. When I got to North, of course, the same thing kind of happened, both at my, more so in Miami Valley. When parents left for the weekend, these were mostly very wealthy people. When they leave for a weekend, two weeks, whatever, they would hire us, the single teachers, to stay with their kids. Mm. And, you know, they, obviously you got very close to people when you stayed in their house, drove their cars, took care of their kids. But it, it, it was a real blessing. I still keep in touch with a lot of those families today my families at north were just amazing i think it took a minute because you know if you know the history of north it was built 
on the north end of town to, uh, and I'm just going to say it, so that the upper middle class folks could get away from the commoners. And there was a NAACP had a lawsuit there. And then they had voluntary uh, busing. So uh, when I came in, the only black person in the office and one of five at the whole school, you know, a lot of people thought that, oh, they just hired him because you were black. Mm -hmm. And I'll never get the words of one student. He says, after our first conversation, he says, you really know what you're doing. Like, uh, yeah, as opposed to what? He said, oh, I thought they just hired you because you were black. So, you know, you know, that just came out of his parents' mouth. Mm. And this is a kid yeah, got real close to, to this day. He, he's probably about your age, Jeff. And uh, he and I are still in touch. Uh, he's been to my house, stayed the night. You know, we're very close. But it took a while to break through for people to shed some of the uh, assumptions because <laughs> I was a black man. But I, I greatly, greatly enjoyed my time at nor at, at all of my schools I've been to, I've greatly enjoyed them and my relationships with the families. And there's nothing more rewarding than to see a former student out somewhere and you know, get a big hug and they'll say something to me like, wow, man, you saved my life. Or, you know, if it wasn't for you, I would have not, you know, whatever. So I thank God for the opportunity to serve in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to, uh, you know, if, if we would have known this was happening, it would be fun to go through. And clearly, I don't know everybody you ever uh, taught and counseled with or whatever, but I bet there's all kinds of people. For those who listen and don't know Michael, I've commented to him since we were together a couple weeks ago over Easter weekend. When I posted about it on Facebook, there were a lot of comments about that and people missing Michael and people who since have texted me or a random guy I met out at Coles the other day who told me when he, where he went to school. We talked and soon as michael's name came up i mean he went on and on talking about michael so michael was definitely one of those guys with or without 37 38 years who made a huge huge difference so we would be amiss knowing our relationship and knowing of all the many friends i've had over the years and been blessed to call friend you and i have always done a great job i think of not being afraid to talk about anything and everything there is no topic off the table we'll be politically incorrect we'll be loving we'll be gracious we'll be silly all the above. So, and I love it that uh, you and I, as, as me as a white man, you as a black man, we could talk about anything. We're not afraid to jab each other, talk race. <laughs> you know, you were the one, you were the first right, person. Right. You were the first person that brought up to me, and you said way back when you said, Jeff, you know, I don't know why you guys all get us confused. We got different shades. You guys are the ones that look more like one color. I mean, you made that kind of joke with me years ago. We've laughed about it and talked about it many <laughs> times since. So, talk about race. You know, I know it's maybe not where it was a year and a half ago, let's say, but it's still out there and our country still has work to do. The church has work to do, whatever. You as a black man at 60, how old did you tell me you are? 60? 60. 60. You see, I was trying to add numbers. I was trying to add numbers. Did no, you notice? I had no more years now. I was doing 60 plus and you're just saying six zero. But um, <laughs> what, what would you speak to, and especially thinking of all this through a gospel lens, what would you speak Two for people's sake about race right now. Hmm. It's still a major issue. Um, where I am right now, it's very different than, say, the school. I, I just came from the Heights because Heights tends to be very liberal, very accepting, and very open talking about stuff. 
where I am now, you know, they, they talk about stuff, but you have a mix of population there of people that, you know, we have troubled kids where I am now. So it, it, it may not be a thing for them to uh, holler out racial slurs or things to uh, staff or the students, whoever. There's still a huge population of people in this country who have issues with people of color, people of different religions, anyone different than themselves. There are still people who try to put up barriers for folks of color trying to move forward. And I I remember back in Wittenberg, I, I think I shared with you when we were together, you know, the most outrageous story in Wittenberg I experienced was my friend from Wittenberg Christian Fellowship who thought I had a tail because her grandfather told her that black men had tails Hmm. and they came out at night. And of course, these are the same people who believe Jewish people have horns and, you know, all those things. And people think, oh, that was back in 1983. I'm going to tell you, there's still people out there who believe stuff like that. There's still people out there who believe that the races should be separated. That You know, my my brother-in-law, who's a minister down in Louisiana, and he's big on trying to bring cultures and races together. He went to a white church down in Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. They flat out told him they weren't ready for that yet. This is 2022. I think this might have been a couple of years ago. Wow, 2020. They flat out said they weren't ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. And then this is the body of Christ, allegedly. <laughs> wow. So we still have a lot of work to do, a lot of work. Yeah. Michael, let me ask you this. One of the questions I tend, I don't always ask it, but I tend to like to ask it at the end of a podcast. You know, I think we talk a lot about people, who you are, your identity, where you are right now, what God's doing, blah, blah, blah. But I like to ask the question, what are you becoming? Where do you see yourself? What is God doing in you right now that's going to allow you to become X, whatever X is? Still trying to figure that out. I can tell you something is happening because I'm amazed at how many people just come up to me who don't know me at all, who don't know me well, who are asking me questions, who are in my world, like I go to the gym, the young brothers, they call me OG. Yo, OG, let me ask you something. You know, it's funny because you know I know many don't have fathers or sane grown men in their lives to... Uh, ask questions too. There was a situation about a month ago, blew my mind. I was talking to a buddy of mine in the gym. He goes to my church. We were talking about the Lord. And then this young man who's a wrestler at Notre Dame here in Cleveland came up to me and asked me, hey, you, you think if I prayed to God, he would hear me and answer my prayer? I, like, oh. I mean, he didn't know. He had never talked to me before. He just heard my conversation. And we got into a long conversation about it. And it was wonderful. And I've had several things like that happen to me in, in the different places. So I, I don't know if God is trying to say to me, I, I, I need to develop in you some, maybe some kind of men's ministry or something. But I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just elated, honored, and humbled that he sends people in my life to trust me, <laughs> even who don't even know me, mm. to, you know, to seek wisdom. Sure. Well, whatever you're becoming, I know where you are. 
lots of fruit, lots of blessing, great investments in other people. Certainly you've done that for me and been a great friend and investment. And like I've said to people and said it to you, I mean, to go about 25 years without seeing each other. And then we spent about three hours together last week. A lot of it in Heinen's. We look like a couple goofballs just looking at <laughs> random food items and dreaming about meatloaf or different food items they had at Heinen's. But yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I know you're one of those guys that anybody can call you a friend. They're going to have a lot of fun. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of spice. But that's, you know, we want to be around people who are going to make us better for being around them. And you're definitely one of those people on whatever capacity level that is. It, it's just a lesson. One of the things I try to tell people, people who don't like to accept help from folks, is that you don't understand when, when you allow people to help you, to pour into you, that's a blessing for them. Because it is us fulfilling our calling. Yep. God. Amen. That's a great word. Well, that closes us up here. So I'm glad that my folks that listen to this, and if nothing else, you and I had a chance to chat. So it doesn't even matter if people listen to it in that regard. But for folks <laughs> that uh, know you, there's not a, a website or wherever to point people to, but definitely a guy who's invested deeply in a lot of people and, and been someone who's impacted my life. And uh, it's always tough when you got a last minute change, but when there's a cancellation and you get to slot someone in to fill a spot, I'm glad you got to fill it out with us today, Michael. So thanks for joining us. This was very enjoyable. All right, Michael. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.